Hello and welcome to the latest edition of the Northeast Newscast. This is your host, Paul Thompson, and this week I sit down with Parks and Recreation Director Mark McHenry. McHenry discussed a wide range of issues, including the recent spate of violence along the Indian Creek Trail and what the Parks Department plans to do about it, the ongoing City Council debate over the initial GL Bond Project funding list issued by City Manager Troy Schulte, the importance of supporting and funding the city's iconic fountain system, the status of the Cliff Drive Connector Trail in the historic Northeast, the long-gestating Paseo Gateway Project, and finally, I talked to Mark about some of his favorite parks in Kansas City, Missouri. Without further delay, here's my conversation with Kansas City, Missouri Parks and Recreation Director, Mark McHenry. All right, I'm Paul Thompson here with Mark McHenry. Thank you for your time today. Yes, I appreciate you, it. Um, I guess we'll just jump right into it, if that's all right with you. Um, I wanted to start by talking about the Indian Creek Trail. It's obviously been in the news. It's, a, it's about the most timely thing we're going to talk about today, although there are a few other items that are pretty timely as well. Uh, sadly, there have been four homicides, I believe, recorded along that trail since August 2016. And this is information put out by PD over the weekend, I think. They're now looking into the possibility of a connection between those incidents. And now I've seen that Neighborhoods and Public Safety has been referred Ordinance Number 170387, which aims to develop a safety plan. It's it's kind of vague uh, in, in terms of the language at this point. But um, I guess, what do you know about that ordinance and, and what it's looking to well, do? Well, there's actually uh, two items that are going to be in front of uh, Neighborhoods and Public Safety this, this Wednesday. Uh, when they have their committee meeting. And uh, one of them is an ordinance that relates to setting hours on a, a variety of locations. I think it's, it's oh, half a dozen plus. Shortening the hours of operation? Yeah, I'd say uh, the way that the ordinance is written, uh, it would uh, say from the period of time from 11 p.m. to 5 a.m., in all essence, the park would be closed. Right. Uh, meaning that... Uh, that's not a place you should be, and there's an ordinance that relates to you know police enforcement aspect with that. And uh, Indian Creek is one of them. Does that mean additional patrols then? I'm not sure what it would mean from an enforcement perspective. Uh, you know, we're um, obviously in the park operations and maintenance side. Right. Uh, signs I think are mentioned in there. You could post a sign, uh, and as I said, it mentions um, Indian Creek, and, and I believe there's also a couple parks that are mentioned that are in the Northland. So okay. it's parks in different areas of the city. And then the second item that is being considered is a resolution mm -hmm. we made reference to earlier. Right. And the resolution um, talks about the Board of Park Commissioners working with the city manager to develop a park safety plan. Okay. And that has uh, other components to it. Uh, you know, the plan hasn't been developed yet. Right. Um, so that will happen over time. I believe, um, I believe the timeline that was six months, if I'm not mistaken. Um, and I think as we see that, it wouldn't probably be just the city manager and just the park board. It would be other uh, agencies or organizations that would have a level of knowledge or interest in doing that. KC Police Department could be one of those agencies. Um, you know, it could be other agencies besides that. It kind of depends on the part of the city that you were in. So this is an opportunity maybe to get out in front of further issues uh, and, and just be able to keep this kind of thing from happening again and just looking at areas where you can be a little bit better and more secure in parks. Well, and I would say when it comes to tragedies that happened, um, um, that's something that, you know, our depth of knowledge of the details and the follow-up and the investigation is a police matter. Mm -hmm. um, and things like that unfortunately happen 
in other parts of the city as well. Right. Um, the um, the aspect of park safety, which is a very very high priority when it comes to parks, park safety, uh, park security, park maintenance. Right. You need people to feel comfortable when they go to the parks. Yes, and uh, and we um, believe strongly in that that park safety is important. And uh, knowing that, you know, there's certain things that that are possible that we are able to have some control over. And, you know, one example may be, you know, clearing brush or opening up sight lines by raising the branches on trees and things. And that's just one example. Right. Uh, and we've had a lot of success um, in areas of parks that issues have arisen by adding lights. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, probably there's some point where you can't put lights everywhere all the time, all the place. Right. But lights can be added. Mm-hmm. Um, cameras can be added. Uh, I would mention that uh, two parks um, in the past where we've added lights and cameras that we believe have had a uh, positive impact on negative activity. Um, Bud Park, mm-hmm. which is a Northeast Park. Right. If you recall, a few years ago there was um, incidents arising at that location, and since that time we actually have done all three, as I mentioned. We raised some tree branches so the sight lines are more broad. You can see from a distance. Mm-hmm. Also uh, adding some lights and cameras. And then, of course, any kind of open public area, um, you know, obviously be aware of your surroundings. Mm-hmm. And uh, so those are the kind of things that we can do, just one example. Now, as I talk about a safety plan, I, you know, those things come into the conversation, right. lighting cameras, clearing brush, things of like that, signage. And then there may be some other things out there that we um, have not um, become aware of or haven't uh, heard about or haven't tried. And then you bring in other folks, as I mentioned, whether it's, uh, law enforcement or some kind of a other social service agency or organization that has some knowledge about that. Also, uh, whenever you look at um, any kind of a plan for parks, you look to other agencies. See what they're doing. Yeah, see what they're doing. Maybe they're doing something in, uh, and I'll just say St. Louis is an example because it's the other large city in Missouri. Right. What are they doing? Right. You know, I probably know a little bit, but I couldn't tell you everything you're doing. Right. That's how you learn. Right. Reach out. You reach out. You know, or you reach out to Someone in some other state, for example. Is it fiscally palatable to have security patrols or things like that? Is that something that would be considered, or is well, that more in the PD purview? Probably more in the PD purview. I mean, you can have, you know, like parks, you can have uh, other eyes and ears in parks, and you mm-hmm. kind of put those two words together. You're listening and you're also seeing. Right. Um, but there again, people have to be somewhat knowledgeable or trained in some cases. It depends on the uh, probably the location, and it also probably depends on what the, the potential you know concerns might be. Um, but there again, I think it's you know all of our parks are within the city limits of Kansas City, and of course KCPD is responsible for law enforcement in the same city limits that we're in. You know, right. Whether it's in a park or whether it's a another public space like a street, for example, even in some cases, sure. you know, or alleys or lots or wherever you know. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, private property owners, you know, um, parking lots, things like that, probably the thing that you would see in areas like that, which are not public spaces, would be the lights and the cameras, example. Okay. Well, good. I appreciate you being willing to answer these questions. I know we didn't uh, we didn't clear them ahead of time. Sometimes no, these stories fine. develop as you go. So yeah, I, I do appreciate you being willing to talk on that. Um, but for now, let's move on to uh, another big issue that's that's facing City Hall, which is the geo bond yes. funds and, and how to spend them. Um, right. 
Let's talk about the, the funding that's expected to be dedicated for the Kansas City Museum, or, or at least has been widely considered to be one of right. those uh, priority projects throughout this process. City Council is expected to debate the city manager's project list here in the next couple of weeks. Um, how confident are you that the funding for the Kansas City Museum will remain in place both this year and into the future? Yeah, the way it has been presented by the city manager, and he has sent out a list uh, that's been uh, made public and it's been discussed. Um, it had the museum at $4 million in year one and then $4 million in year two. Mm-hmm. And um, I think that's important to note it that way. And the eight million, of course, the total of those two mm-hmm. uh, puts together the complete package for the uh, first phase, which is pretty much all four levels of Corinthian Hall. Right. Um, the way that simple math works is that six million is now available through the museum levy, mm-hmm. um, and then if you add eight to that, you know that gets you up a little closer to your to your goal of sixteen. Uh, 14, of course, when you have those two, and then $2 million from the private sector to get you to 16. And that's where they had a million pledged already from? Yes, there's from a million the, pledged, yeah. A million pledged, we had a... Um, from the Long family? Uh, yeah, half of that was from the Long family, and then the other 500 was for other sources. Okay. So the total, you're right, Paul, it's $1 million that is uh, pretty much available as we speak. So the goal would then be to raise the other million dollars. So you get it to the 16. The 16... As I mentioned, takes all four floors of Corinthian Hall plus a parking lot. Right. As you've been up there, there's limited parking. So along the, uh, the Waldron side, which is the west side, there would be some off-street parking. Kind of overlooking that kind of valley there on the other side, exactly or at the right. top of that hill, overlooking the valley, mm-hmm. back where the gooseneck is. So right. So that would be the package. Um, as you mentioned, you know the the geo bond, the first uh, bond sale is estimated to be right around forty million dollars. Mm-hmm. And so the four million for the museum is part of that forty, and then if you did the same thing a year from now, it'd be forty million again. Right. Four of forty be how that would be, be looked at, and you know one of the things that's been stressed with um, the first year, and I think to some degree the second year, is what they call shovel ready. Right. I was going to bring that up too. Yeah, and you can you know when you think shovel ready, literally you're putting a shovel in the ground. Right. So it's probably more focused on uh, road projects when you use the term. Shovel ready, right? But it's very applicable to the Kansas City Museum because it's ready to go in the construction phase. Well, and they've already got JE done in house on that one. Right, they've been doing pre-construction now for a while, um, and I think from the very beginning, the city manager has been very clear that mm-hmm. one of the you know the, a couple of the things that we're looking on mm-hmm. uh, first and foremost mm-hmm. is being shovel ready in that first right. year, mm-hmm. and and second is having a public private element to it in, in terms of very raising true. funds. Yeah, very true and. Uh, because you've got a combination of both, right. public and private together. You would think it's an ideal package, it although is. now I'm hearing that maybe there's some concern from the council. How, how shocked would you be if well, that one was pulled away? You know, I think when you look at these projects and utilizing that terminology uh, and knowing a lot of the other projects that are out there, it's probably one of the most shovel-ready projects there is. Right. And as you said, we already have the contract. Right. There's a lot of projects that don't have the contract. But you, and you would save money by, by getting the stuff going and not having to take a break and then hire somebody new oh, again. Yeah. I mean, you, uh, time is money, obviously, right. so you have a gap. And, uh, and we, uh, through the leadership of Anna Marie and the, the Museum Foundation and the Kansas Missouri Park Board, um, everybody's done all the right stuff. You know, they did a business plan, they did a strategic plan. They have a very good plan, International Architects Atelier, laid out all the details in the plan. Mm-hmm. And they're, 
They're drawing up the final plans as we speak. They had an open house. You yeah. Know, they showed off the plans, they, and they did a really good job. Two or three it. times, you know. Yeah. They've had that, and every, every time it has a little bit more detail plugged into it. Mm-hmm. And they have all the sub-consultants, and, you know, the, the vision is all pretty much put together. Well, and, yeah. and the other thing they have, I wanted to bring this up. I, I, sorry to interrupt there, but the um, the recent announcement of the chairs of the museum's capital yeah, campaign. Yeah, and that, uh, when you talk about raising funds, um, there is, like I said, to get to the 16s a million. But there'll be other phases, too, mm-hmm. so that number could go higher. But when you get uh, individuals like uh, Bill Dunn Sr., Henry Blockett, and Matheny together, you're talking about, uh, quite frankly, community icons. And they know a lot of people, and uh, that adds a ton of credibility. And they're, they're the three uh, first names mentioned is the uh, honorary chairs. And then you have another group of honorary chairs and three park board members, Vanita Gorman, Carl DeCaponale Gates. Mm-hmm. And they're uh, they're right there with them. Sure. And, uh, You're not giving up much star power with that second no, tier. Exactly. You've got star power there, and all three of them very successful in their careers and uh, very well known public names. And in their time on the park board, there's a lot of great things that happened in this city. You know, Starlight Theater and Zoo and Liberty Memorial. All that stuff was happening back when those were they were all in leadership, and those are all you know three huge public assets today. Mm-hmm. And then even beyond that, I mean, you know, with Carl's the Italian Gardens and Restaurant Association and Mr. Gates and the barbecue and successful businessman and having been on the Highway Commission and Mrs. Gorman and all her leadership positions included the uh, Missouri Department of Conservation. So you bring uh, basically six people together that is kind of the who's who uh, when it comes to civic leadership. All right. Well, neat. So what, with, with all that being said then, uh, what message would it send to the community if the council turns around and and pushes back the funding for the for this type of shovel-ready project that has those kind of names attached. Well, it uh, is something that uh, that we believe is just the right thing to do at the right time. And as you're also probably aware, the Kansas um, City Museum, Corinthian Hall, and the properties around it um, was has always been part of the Kansas City landscape, um, and it was under the uh, tutelage of Union Station for a while. And I'm going to say that they did a, a decent job with it. Or, did a really good job with what they had, but their prime focus uh, was what was happening on site, mm-hmm. which was Union Station. So when George Costello and I started visiting on this a few years ago, it seemed apparent that the museum um, could get its singular attention, mm-hmm. um, and their prime focus would probably be best served working through the park board and taking the course it has. And you can see a lot's happened. Mm-hmm. We've kind of followed the, the right steps, I think. And uh, so having done that, having done our homework, having built up a good civic package, having a good architect, a good contractor, um, and I'm really doing a great job working with the Scarrett Renaissance neighborhood, keeping them fully informed of everything that's going on, good communication, no surprises. I mean, it seems like it's almost a textbook, perfect project that everybody would want to be supportive of. And, of course, during the campaign, you know, that $800 million had to be sold. Right. And people voted on it for yeah. that reason, I think, in the they Northeast. Did. And they, yeah, they did. I think, I think you're absolutely right about that. That was one of the reasons they voted for it. Right. And not to take anything away from the other projects, um, I think that helped carry it. Right. So, and it was highlighted in the resolution, which is the companion resolution sure. that went along with the, the bond referendum. And so it just seems like the right thing to do. Now, we'll, we'll switch the subject here shortly. I did want to ask very quickly, um, one of the things um, on Fountain Day, yeah. uh, we talked about that briefly before we started. Um, if I recall, and you can correct me if I'm wrong here, uh, City Manager Schulte said at, at that, um, during during his remarks on that day, um, something to the effect of, with, with this 
uh, geo bond money, we'll be able to make sure that the fountains stay running. Right. Um, that was one of those things that was brought up yeah. uh, by the council in the mm-hmm. last couple of weeks that maybe we shouldn't be using those for fountains. Um, mm-hmm. How big of a priority should that be? Well, I think it should be a, a top priority. Mm-hmm. Uh, we are the city of fountains. Right. And the reason that Kansas City is called the city of fountains because it has a lot of fountains. Right. Uh, we have 48. Uh, you know, we have more fountains than any other uh, city in the United States. Mm-hmm. Uh, we also talk about the only other city in the world that has as many fountains as we do is Rome. Mm-hmm. We kind of put on the same par as Rome when it comes to fountains. And, um, and there's a lot of fountains that aren't part of our 48. They're just, you know, other fountains in public view or, you know, other jurisdictions. But sure. the bulk of them are on our system. That's the 48. And we're known for the city of fountains. And it seems like if we're going to have uh, that uh, terminology for our city and take pride in being the city of fountains, our fountains ought to work. Right. Quite frankly, that's kind of our, we've always talked about uh, how expensive is that to maintain well, the fountain system? It's it costs some funds. Right. Um, I mean, it, talk, it costs several hundred thousand dollars a year to operate them. Right. Because you have to um, keep them running, keep the pumps and the motors, and pay the light bill, and you have to clean them out. And so they're they're high maintenance. Right. Compared to things that don't have moving parts and moving water in. Sure. But they add a lot. I mean, if you think about uh, you know, the iconic ones like the J.C. Nichols on the plaza. Mm-hmm. Or the Meyer Circle, which is currently under renovation out at Meyer and Ward Parkway, or the block fountain in front of Union Station. Mm-hmm. They're, they're icons. If you look at any kind of uh, tourism photographs or any kind of national media about KC, those things always show up. Right. It's just hard to imagine not having those fountains. It's an easy thing you can do if you're trying to tour the city and say, yeah. when there's always stuff around those fountains, you know. I mean, oh, yeah. They're actually, things yeah, build up around, you know, yeah, activity a, builds up around those sure fountains. Sure, that Nichols is, you know, it's kind of that... Uh, that public gathering spot. When right. someone wants to go out and speak their mind about public issues, that's where they go. Right. It's high visibility. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, some people talk about fountains. You know, you don't have to have them. I mean, you can still drive on your roads, and you can still get water to your home, and you can still um, get electricity without having a fountain right. in your house. You can survive without culture, technically speaking, but, but what kind of life are you living without it? Very well said. I mean, art falls in the same category. I mean, mm-hmm. You can talk about, you know, public art the same way. We don't necessarily have to have it. You don't have to have the sky stations on top of Bartle Hall to have a convention. Right. But you can imagine not having things like that. <laughs> I mean, that's just one example of a 1%. And there's a lot of art examples, and some of it's public. Or you think about the sculptures around the Nelson Atkins Museum. Right. I mean, you just the list goes on, and you know you need the, the finer things. You can have a great streetcar system without having a Kauffman Performing Arts Center, too, probably. Right. But, you know, what would the city be without a Performing Arts Center and the NC Symphony, and, you know, the list goes on. Right. So, you know, arts and culture is what makes a city a city. And if you look at other major cities around the world, you know, and there's great examples everywhere, I mean, what do you think about? You think about arts and culture and some of its performing arts, you know, whether it's the opera houses or whether it's the uh, performing halls or whether it's the music halls or whether it's the art of the architecture. And, I mean, European cities are just known for that. Right. And you see more and more of that um, in cities in the United States. Right. And that's what comes to mind. Mm-hmm. You don't think about everybody's got a great, you know, blow ground, you know, wastewater system or sewer treatment plant. I mean, you got to have it. Right. But you don't go to a major urban area and think about that. You right. think about the public art and architecture. Right. So I think it's just a critical part of it. And quite frankly, it's not that expensive compared to some things. Right. If you look at the geobond list, there's two fountains on there: the Spirit of Freedom Fountain, which is located over off of Brush Creek. Cleveland, mm-hmm. and uh, there's the half fountain 
and it's H-A-F-F, not H-A-L-F. People right. think it's half of a fountain, and, like, where's the other half? <laughs> yeah, what'd they do with it? Yeah, it's half, as they, in... It was too expensive, they couldn't pay for the rest yeah. of it, right? No. It's named after Delbert Half. Mm -hmm. uh, Delbert Half was the attorney for the park board, uh, and that was critical, because when the park board was formed now 125 years ago, and they set out the, uh, the original covenants and the original mm -hmm. charter, they had to have someone to do the legal work. That's the person that that fountain's named after. It's right at the front of Interest as Well Park, which, of course, is our largest park. Right. Um, and it's the most highly visited park in the system, and it's you know, a beautiful location there at Meyer and uh, as Well Parkway. Sure. So that's what the other 750. So 750 and 750, it's, you know, it's, it's not small dollars, um, but then again, it's not a multi-million dollar project like some projects. Right. And the other thing is, they're ready to go. Right. I mean, we are wrapping up the construction documents on the Spirit of Freedom as we speak. So more construction-ready items. More construction-ready, yeah. Construction-ready, I like the term. It's, you know, uh, so, you know, if that's... In lieu of shovel-ready, right? Yeah. Because, yeah. yeah, you're putting in, uh, you know, uh, masonry and pumps and motors and electricity and plumbing, but it's ready to go. Right. There you go. So that 750 would be able to go right into that fountain. And the Spirit of Freedom fountain was dedicated in, uh, in 1981. It's been there 36 years. And, uh, you know, it inspires freedom. Uh, it has got a strong message. Uh, it's a part of the community that, uh, that where freedom is critical and important. And so just the whole symbolism and the meaning and purpose about that is important. And most of the fountains have some kind of a theme built behind them. Right. I mean, you look at the, that fountain, as I've articulated, where you look at um, the firefighters fountain that we did a lot of work on last year. Obviously, that is built in memory and honor of those that died in the line of duty as firefighters. And sure. you know, and go back to the northeast, you know, and firefighters, you know, uh, they just lost a mesh. couple, yeah, in twenty fifteen. Lost in tragedy there uh, at Independence. Their names are on that fountain right now. Right. Well, I mean, they're being remembered in a lot of ways, but now we have their names etched on stainless steel right. at that fountain. So that's important. And then there's the Children's Fountain up north, and there is the Vietnam Veterans Fountain. And, I mean, those fountains all have a meaning and purpose. So they're not just... And we're coming up on Memorial Day where there exactly. will be events held there, I, I believe. Yeah, there will so. always be a Memorial Day event. And we have fountains at the National War One Museum. Mm -hmm. Memorial has fountains. Right. So, I mean, they, they, that's the way you just pick them. And that's just what happens. And so, so I think they're just a huge part. And their infrastructure, I mean, they're... They're concrete, they're steel, they're electrical, they're plumbing, they're infrastructure, just like a, a road is infrastructure, a sidewalk is infrastructure. And I think that's, um, I think they're very critical. Right. Wow. Good, good answer there. I appreciate you being willing to talk on that one as well. So speaking of things that are ready to go, and we've been talking about projects that are ready to go, I wanted to ask you about the connector trail, the Cliff Drive connector trail. It's a 10-foot wide trail yeah. connecting the historic northeast over by Cliff Drive mm -hmm. to Columbus Park. Yeah which I think is a very important connector to a lot of people in, in Northeast area. Right. Mm -hmm. um, I know that a lot of bicyclists in the area were very excited about it. Mm -hmm. it do you know anything about that timeline? Are we still on pace for fall 2017? Yeah, it's still on pace for later this year. Uh, I think it's about half done. I mean, I think like 40% is the last number I saw. And I think that we're looking at some time in you know, Thanksgiving time frame. Excellent. Probably maybe that gets into a little bit of the month of December, but it'll be later this year. And yeah, it's a critical connection. It's a, it's been a, a challenge. That's some pretty rough terrain down there, and it's right. a place you don't go normally. Right. Uh, because, you know, you follow Cliff Drive, and then you get to a point, and there's not a good way to get over to the uh, area that we're talking about in the, uh, the River Market area or in the area by Berkeley Park is where it goes. Right. And uh, you've got I-35 and bridges, and so this gets you uh, down the slope at an angle and then takes you underneath I-35, 
And then once you get down there, then you move over into the uh, Spirit of Casey uh, system, which is back over there. I said uh, Columbus Park, Berkeley Park area is where you get to. I mean, that's streetcar connection essentially yeah, too. Sure I mean, it is, yeah. So somebody could hypothetically ride from the Northeast, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. catch on the streetcar down in mm-hmm. Columbus Park area, mm-hmm. you know, where they're housed, and then yeah. jump on over to yeah, Union the Station. St- all, all yeah, the, the streetcar so. would be along Independence. Because that'd be a straight shot, and then this would be kind of the same way to get from point A to point B. Right, take you that same route. And we got a grant, as you know, uh, Cliff Drive is a state scenic byway. Mm-hmm. Uh, we got that designation several years ago, and what that did is that opened the door for additional funding. So as we've had issues along Cliff Drive, some of the the landslides, some of the deteriorating walls, some of the deteriorating steps, a lot of that's been repaired now. Mm-hmm. It's looking pretty good. Uh, there's a series of state grants that have really enhanced the value of the drive. And, of course, you know, the drive now is, um, is multi-use. I mean, right. you have cars on there going one direction for occasion, but, you know, we have car-free weekends. So we really encourage bike pet activity on Cliff Drive uh, all the way the entire distance. But And so that kind of becomes your connector. Right. Once you get up there to the far west end, you start to lose that. So this connector gets you down to the area we talked about and then on over further to the west. So I think people appreciate it. You know, the Cliff Drive Quarter Management Group, we worked with a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was established when the drive was designated as a historic city byway. And, you know, and that whole group, and Will and Brett and the whole group, you know, mm-hmm. they really encouraged the use of the sure. drive. And, and they've been real strong advocates worked with Bike Walk KC. Of course, they're big advocates for bike pads. So this will be a nice connection through them. Good. Excellent. Yeah, you touched on a lot of those questions I think I had for that area. So I appreciate that. I know people mm-hmm. yeah. have been looking forward to that one yeah. quite a bit. So. Right. They'll be happy to, to, to learn that it's kind of on schedule and that right. um, it's a priority. Got it. More broadly in the historic Northeast, what are the next big projects that uh, residents are Well, the big project, about? and it ties back to the bond issue too, is the what they call the Paseo Gateway Project. Right. And we've been studying that for some time now. They're actually, we've done some reporting on that as well. Yeah, I mean, we went back to that original concept um, to do something there. It goes back, I think, over 10 years ago. Uh, Independence of Paseo is the beginning of our system. Mm-hmm. When our system was established 125 years ago, the two primary boulevards um, that were on the system, east-west and north-south, was Paseo and Independence. So here we are 125 years later, looking at that same location, mm-hmm. and it's got a interesting history. I mean, a lot's happened right. over 125 years. And, you know, you have two, you had two motels up there that were probably the place to stay. I mean, you're coming in from the north, you come across the bridge, you go up the ramp, and you stay at a motel. Right. You come to visit Kansas City. Well... Needless to say, over a period of time, the uh, the Capri and the Royale had you know multiple owners and multiple issues. Well, it was time for them to be torn down. Right, and they're both down now. And that's happened now. That's happened. Yeah, mm-hmm. Capri was, came down last year, and then the Royale just came down this year. Yeah. So by the other day, and they've got you don't even know it was there. I mean, they've taken out all the material and they put down some nice topsoil and they got straw on top. And yeah, they got that down pretty cleanly. It'll be grass. Yeah. Uh, but what it allows us to do is take that intersection, which is another one that's kind of a mess traffic wise. People get it. backed up too far. Oh, yeah. You cross it says traffic. you can't take a left, but people try to do it. and yeah, It's just a it's a traffic nightmare. Right. So from a traffic flow, we'll fix it. Well, and if you're from uh, if you're a Northeast resident, yeah. you, you know if, right. if you're uh, coming up on along St. John mm-hmm. on the mm-hmm. north side of mm-hmm. Concourse Park, and then come up and round, right. you know you come you end up coming to a, a T essentially right there mm-hmm. where people are coming up off the ramp. Yeah, and it's uh, they're yeah. coming you know fifty miles an hour, right. and, you're, and you're at a dead stop. It's yeah. uh, that kind of thing, and it's you can't scary. see that well around no, the corner. Just, I mean, exactly. yeah, you end up. So we fixed the transportation component, and then we build an, uh, a gateway into it. 
Mm-hmm. That's not fully designed, but you know, if you can visualize a gateway, you, you get to it, you know you got there. Right. It's kind of some strong visual element. And then also have maybe some redevelopment property, too. We don't need all that property. I mean, we've opened it up quite a bit with the Capri and the Royale. Right. We'll use some of that for the intersection, but there'll probably be a little bit left over for some redevelopment, for example. Okay. And, uh, so that's a, that's, a, that's a game changer kind of project uh, for a variety of reasons. Right. So, uh, how would you like to see people um, use that inter- intersection moving forward instead of just? Uh, I, I feel like at this point now, like you mentioned, it's just kind of a, a traffic nightmare. Well, well what the, do you envision? There's a plan that shows all that. I mean, mm-hmm. it's kind of hard to you know verbalize it, but it uh, it basically is clean. And the best way I can say it's it cleans up the intersection. Right. You know, we mentioned earlier about some of this where a car gets to a point where they're just kind of left in a state of flux about do I turn this way? Do I stop? And it takes all that out of the picture. It makes it very clear and concise where you're supposed to go. And so there's not any gray areas about where you go. So from a traffic safety, and also we need to make it very bike pet friendly too. Right. Some of these intersections. If you're going to take the trouble to rebuild the thing, yes. right, do, do it in a way that yeah. allows multi-use. Well, yeah. And so that, you know, you can get it if you're, if you're on the cliff drive and you want to just stay on the bike and not go down the, the new connector then you can do that again. not everybody wants to to go run rough yeah. shot through that um right. connector trail because yeah. it'll still be pretty steep and it's more for kind of hardcore right. bicycles well and if you if you even do a little comparison and this is not the same thing but i'll just use it as an example mm-hmm. uh, if you look at the intersection that was done last year there at uh, independence and benton mm-hmm. uh, that was one that was kind of a a little bit like I'm not sure which way to go kind right. of intersection. Well, now you know. It's very clear and concise. But see how much more pedestrian-friendly that intersection is now? Right. I mean, you could be a person staying in the middle of the intersection, and you're not lost. Right. I mean, you stood in the middle of the intersection before, and you're going to take your life in your hands. Now you know where to walk to. Right. And there's safety respites, and it's got modern signals, and it's got the— uh, It's got benches and oh, yeah, attractive uh, Exactly. You can spend some it. time there, and it's got the pedestrian signalization and the signs. And so it's, it's not leaving you kind of in that uh, state of— it's safe. It's safe. It's easy to understand. It works. So that's the concept behind that. I mean, this is a this case is a different engineering firm, but they're very competent and capable of designing an intersection that works. We talked about a roundabout at one time. Um, kind of do the engineering. It really wasn't going to work because of some of the elevations. But I always use those as an example of an intersection uh, because you know you look at the centerpiece of a roundabout. It can do a whole lot of nice enhancements. Right, you can make. I mean, you mentioned uh, over on Meyer, where yeah, you, where you, you have an iconic yeah. fountain in the middle of that. Yeah, you can so. do that, and that's kind of a good example of an icon. Sometimes that works. Sometimes it just depends. This one is not quite that simple. And right, it's got too much of this cross slopes on it to make that work. But, hmm. but anyway, that's an example of what we're talking about. Oh, good. No, I appreciate it. Um, so I'll wrap it up here. You, you've been very generous with your time sure. today. I appreciate mm-hmm. it. Um, so this is the last question I've written down for you. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know this is ask, it's like asking you to choose a favorite child, but I wanted to, to know what are some of your favorite parks in the city? Uh, say it's a beautiful Saturday morning, nothing on the schedule. Where would you go to enjoy the day? Well, it depends on if I'm by myself or mm-hmm. I've got uh, my wife with me or my grandkids. I guess that all depends. Mm-hmm. I mean, if I um, were to have uh, – I'll, I'll, I'll answer that probably in three ways. Yeah, let's hear it. I've got a couple grandkids. They don't live in Kansas City. Uh, they live outside the state. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if they were here – uh, and I will tell you exactly where I took him. I actually went up to the concourse and had to try the hill slide <laughs> with my grandson. You know, he had to. That was pretty unique. There you go. Uh, yeah. our, our, our listeners will like that answer. Yeah. I think. So they like love the slide up there, and, uh, and then also took him over to Roanoke Park, where they have that big climbing playground. Oh, sure. You know, that's if you're familiar with that, mm-hmm. which you can climb about 50 feet in the air. If you know, little kids like that, so I did that. And then Penguin Park's another one. You know, mm-hmm. those are all great. Those are destination playgrounds. All three of them are. 
their neighborhoods, but they're also a place you would drive to. Mm -hmm. uh, and then another location is the train up at uh, Frank Bay Lion Creek Park. Uh, mm -hmm. A couple of Saturdays ago, we had National Train Day at 5,000 people up there riding the train. Wow. So uh, I think those are four locations. And, of course, the zoo, obviously. Right. It's a great place to take uh, grandkids and things of that nature. Um, if my, uh, my wife was with me, we'd probably go to a dog park. Mm -hmm. She loves dogs and stuff. And so we, we've, got, you know, we've got three dog parks in the system right now. And sure. So she'd probably go to one of those. Or, or a trail. You know, mm -hmm. we walk a trail. And uh, I, I do a lot of bike riding. And uh, I have the Lion Creek Trail. Mm-hmm. Runs all the way from Riverside, clear up North Montezuma Highway, 11 miles long. It's a great trail to ride on. Yeah. Uh, the Indian Creek Trail is a great trail to ride on. Mm -hmm. As I mentioned, getting people out on that trail is important. We talked earlier about safety and security, but also a big part of that is get out there and use these trails. If like, there's uh, enough people out there then uh, doing the right kind of things out there, then... Well, we did. I, uh, I've ridden it several times. I'm a member of uh, uh, KC uh, Cycling Club, and uh, Cycling KC is the name of the organization, and was, I was actually at uh, Mike Darby, you mentioned earlier. Mm -hmm. um, I was at his wake last night, because I happened to know him, happened to ride with him some. And um, we were talking about it, let's just get more people riding the trail. And, you know, whether it's, you know, walk, walking or biking, you know, get the numbers out there. And, and bikes, you can get some numbers. And so it's that Indian Creek Trail, the Blue River Trail. Uh, I mentioned the Lime Creek Trail up north at one location. So trails are what I like, okay. uh, because you can see a lot and do a lot and observe a lot. And also, you know, see some of the outdoors areas. So, you know, those are things, obviously, I always go back to the National War One Museum and Liberty Memorial and one of the projects I was involved in over right. years. And, you know, I was up there on uh, April 6th for the commemoration, 100 years. Mm -hmm. and that's a pretty moving experience associated with that. And uh, that was going on. If you ask me where I'm going to be on Sunday of this uh, next weekend, I'll be at the Celebration Station and the Kansas City Symphony plays down there in front of Union Station. Yeah. It's a pretty neat event. Yeah, and, uh, that's cool. Patriotic and stuff. Mm -hmm. And... Uh, so, you know, we have 221 parks. So I guess if you uh, were to uh, adjust your time during the course of a year, and there, there's what you can do. There's 220 <laughs> days of it. So. Well, I, plenty to see, plenty to do. I appreciate the answer, uh, and I, I got to compliment you for expertly weaving into about half of those 221 <laughs> parks right there during that answer. Okay. Very, very political. I appreciate okay. it. Okay. Thank you for your time, okay. Mark, and uh, right. appreciate you sitting down with us. Hey, have a good one. Appreciate it. All right, folks, that is all for this week's episode with Parks and Recreation Director Mark McHenry. Thanks again, Mark, for your time. This is your host, Paul Thompson. We'll be back next week.